Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by SomersetSportsPerformance.com. Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. Before we get to today's topics and guest, I would like to let you guys know about two quick things. The first one is a new blog at EssentialTennis.com, and that is the WTA Tour News Blog, news all about the women's professional tennis game. To check that blog out, all you have to do is go to EssentialTennis.com slash WTA News. Next up, I just want to let you guys know about the upcoming Essential Tennis Live show, which will be airing this Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Myself and my co-host, Ron Miller, are going to be talking about the NTRP rating system this week the pros and the cons of the system, what's broken, what needs to be fixed. If you have an opinion about that topic and would like to talk to us live during the show, check it out again this Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To find out where to go, just go to EssentialTennis.com slash live. All right, let's get started with the show. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. My guest today on the Essential Tennis Podcast is Dr. Patrick Cohn. Dr. Cohn is at sportspsychologytennis.com and hosts a tennis podcast of his own. It's called the Tennis Psychology Podcast, and you guys can find that on his website or on the iTunes Music Store. He does a great job with that podcast, and if you guys go check his podcast out on iTunes, he's got 46 episodes all archived there. So a lot of great information about mental tennis, the, the mental part of the game in tennis. Dr. Cohn, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me in. I enjoy talking to you once again about the mental aspects of tennis. Absolutely. And it's such a big part of the game for recreational players, average level players, and high performance players as well. And I know that you spend a lot of time working with nationally ranked junior players on the mental game specifically. So I know that you're going to bring a lot of value to the listeners of my show. So thanks very much for, for spending some time with us. Great. All right, let's go ahead and get started. And we've got three questions here that hopefully we have time to get to. And these all come from listeners of the show who posted their questions on the forums at EssentialTennis.com. Our first question that we're going to talk about comes to us from Joe in Louisiana. Joe wrote and asked, I'd like to turn the mental tennis subject around a little and hear about how to recognize mental issues in my opponent, aside from the obvious, and how to exploit them. What do you think, Dr. Cohn? Well, it's definitely a part of, um, I think, playing tennis is being able to react to your opponent. Um, However, you don't want to get so stuck on what's going on with your opponent that you forget your game plan and you forget your strategy on what you're doing out there. What do you want to look at? What do you want to observe? 
I think the most obvious thing is is when a when a player is upset, when your opponent is upset and down, you know you have the momentum and you have kind of the mental edge at that point, and you could take advantage of that. One of the one of the things I see that problems that players make is they get out to a lead in the set. Maybe they get out to three love or four one or whatever it may be, and Sometimes they, they, they see that their opponent is down, they see their opponent is frustrated, and then they let off the gas. They take their foot off the gas and they try to coast. And that could be very dangerous in that situation. I think when you see that you have your opponent down and your opponent may be frustrated, you, that's, I think, the most obvious thing that you can see. Well, that's when you want to put your foot, your pedal to the metal, as we say, and you want to play even harder at that point or you want to go ahead and harness that momentum that you have to finish off the set or to finish off the match. In addition, I think you can see changes in confidence in players as well. That's another thing that you want to look for as well. Um, Even how a player walks onto the court, right? Some players walk onto the court, they look like they own the court, where those other players walk on, they, they look kind of meek or they look not very confident. Yeah. They have their head down, their, their shoulders are slumped. Um, so you can certainly use that to your advantage in terms of n- knowing when you have the momentum because, you know, if they don't, your opponent doesn't have the momentum, and they look rather like they're lacking confidence in their game. That should give you the momentum. If I turn it around a little bit, when I talk to my players, uh, I instruct them, I, I never want to allow your opponent to see you down or to see you frustrated or lack confidence because you're giving them energy. You're giving them momentum. So if you're on the other end of that, uh, make sure that you keep your reactions neutral to bad shots, for example, and you don't show your opponent that you're frustrated. Um, or that you're lacking confidence or you're down because now um, momentum is shifting big time. Uh, what's your what's your whole take on this, Ian? Well, I, I think you got gave a lot of great advice there, and I agree that the number one way to tell if you are doing something correctly or doing something well is by watching your opponent's physical response. And really, it's their emotional response to to whatever happens to be occurring during the match play. And yeah, physical cues, you mentioned walking out on the courts and, and looking timid or unsure of oneself. But even uh, between points, maybe after hitting a, a particularly good shot against your opponent and they get frustrated, maybe they, they hit a poor shot and get frustrated. And it's it really, at the... Uh, uh, top level of junior tennis or any level of junior tennis, I, I guess we could say. I, I would assume that you see this a lot, Dr. Cohn, is kids who are really very competitive, not terribly emotionally mature yet. And so I, I would assume that a lot of times you see kind of emotional outbursts at, at points in time during the match where they get frustrated. Their opponent is doing something that is being effective and their way way of dealing with it is kind of being outwardly frustrated. Is that fair to say? Do you, do you see a lot of that? Absolutely. I, mean, I just 
recorded a video on this particular topic that's at on my website at, at sportspsychologytennis.com. And it is, it's the highly competitive, the, the athletes that work very hard at their game, put in a lot of time that want to win really badly. They're most likely to become upset quickly, um, with their game when they hit a bad shot or, or when they're getting beat, they hate to lose essentially. Absolutely. So, yeah. So you can certainly, um, you know, watch for some of those cues. But once again, um, I don't think you want to really depend upon exploiting their um, lack of mental toughness. Once again, uh, when I mean depend upon it, Ian, I think you could get to a point where you focus too much on their reactions after points and after games and on the changeovers. Um, rather than controlling your own emotions, controlling your own confidence between points um, as well. So, um, but just be careful that you don't get too lopsided with your strategy is to go out and exploit your opponent's um, lack of mental toughness. I don't think that's a good strategy. You you can certainly, uh, as we've said, look at the cues um, that are going to help you gain the momentum and help you gain confidence, but don't get so obsessed with what you, your opponent's reactions are that you can't make adjustments yourself. Yeah, I think sometimes maybe we can get caught up with maybe enjoying our opponent's downfalls a little bit too much and maybe playing for that a little bit too much and, and kind of trying to egg them on. Those of us who are more competitive <laughs> who are listening. And I, I can definitely say that I've been guilty of that. But I, I think the best advice that you gave there, Dr. Cohn, was remember your game plan. Remember what you were doing well that got your opponent frustrated. Don't deviate from that for the sake of getting them more angry. Just keep the pedal to the metal. Uh, also, don't let up and say, oh, great, I've got this match won, and, uh, and relax. Uh, so lots of good tips in there and excellent stuff. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our second question. And this question okay. comes to us from John. And he wrote and asked, when playing doubles, what tips can you give me to help the situation when my partner starts falling apart mentally? Yeah, great question. I mean, I just witnessed this yesterday, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, um, where I saw some players uh, playing in team tennis, um, an advanced team tennis league, and um, the two players were, were essentially, they were frustrated and down with, with each other's game. Mm-hmm. It's so critical in doubles, and I think it's so critical to be able to support yourself and support your partner at the same time because you're not only playing for yourself, part of the pressure in doubles is that you're playing for your partner as well. And so some players are very, very in tune with that, that I don't want to disappoint my partner. I don't want to let down my partner. So when they hit a bad shot and they lose the point, it's almost twice as hard to take for them because they hit a bad shot, the person hit a bad shot, but they also, they also are letting, feel like they're letting down their opponent mm-hmm. um, as well. So that's, I'm sorry, your partner. Yeah. So that's why it's so critical for the partner to come to come in and say, hey, it's okay, let it go, let's get to the next point. So any interaction at all, 
I think the worst thing you could do would be to just go back to the service line or go back to your um, uh, return of serve position and not say anything to your partner that's really falling apart and, and, and is frustrated and down. You have to say something. You have to attempt to interrupt whatever, it is, whatever negative script that your partner has in, in his or her head. Um, even if it's just a neutral statement like, come on, let's go, or come on, let's get to the next point. You have to be able to get them in a state where you're okay with their mistake, that everybody's going to make mistakes. So just saying something like, okay, you know, you're not perfect. You know, we're going to lose points. It's okay. As long as we focus on the next point with full confidence um, and full focus, you know, we're still right in this match. It's so, so critical in team player doubles play. Um, I see it over and over again where um, players essentially can feed off of their negativity or where you have a very positive player that can turn the whole thing around because that partner is trying to lift up the partner that has a tendency to get down. I agree. I, I see this pretty commonly as well, where one player will, will make a, a bad error and their their partner does like the classic, you know, head drop and like shoulder slump and like and you know just make the uh, the oh crap movement with their body. <laughs> and that is not going to help your partner out. You guys need to be supportive of your partner emotionally and take responsibility for their emotional state. You've got to help them out. And all the the tips that Dr. Cohn stated there are definitely very important. So Dr. Cohn, what would you say to the player who says, well, you know, I've, I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm trying to be supportive. I, I'm, I'm trying to give them neutral or, or positive feedback even after they're making a mistake. However, they just keep on getting more and more down on themselves. They keep getting more and more negative. What does John do in, in that situation where their partner just can't pull out of that negative tailspin and, and they just keep on getting more and more negative? What would you say to that? Try to get them to laugh <laughs> or seriously or have fun. I think when a player is having fun that's, and laughing, that's going to override any of that negativity. And it can be kind of a stress reducer, right? We know that, we know that laughing can reduce stress as well. Um, so if you can find a way to, to play little, um, little games or just laugh at it with your partner and get them laughing like it's okay, <laughs> um, I think you're going to be able to pull them around. That would be kind of, you know, plan B, um, in my opinion. But um, when a player is frustrated and when they're down, they're certainly not having any fun. They're being too serious, um, and they're not having any fun with their game. And, you know, frankly, it's, it's not a lot of fun to play with that type of player, right? I agree. And our, our next question is, is actually going to, to deal with that. Uh, the, the player who maybe takes it a little bit too seriously and is really hard on themselves. But I, I, think, I think that's good advice, actually. It can be very difficult to, to reason with that type of player who just kind of seems really set in their path of, of being negative or, or really just having the idea that 
oh, this is just a bad day. Not, nothing's going my way. Every shot is is poor. And you guys are going to play with people who just kind of fall into a negative attitude like that quickly. And I, I've got to admit, I didn't, uh, I didn't see coming the advice of make them laugh, but I think that's a good idea. <laughs> so uh, anything else to add to that before we go to our last question, Dr. Cohn? No, that's, uh, I, I think when you're, have, when you're not as serious and you're having fun, that will take care of a lot of issues. All right, good stuff. And with that, let's go to our final question, which is from Dana in Nebraska. And I'm happy that Dana brought this up because it's, it's something that I personally have struggled with uh, as well in the past in, in my competitive play. And he wrote and said, how can I keep from getting down on myself? Or what can I do to get myself back out of a slump when I do get down on myself? When I miss a couple of easy shots that I should have made, I get really down. I see pros missing shots in their matches, so I know perfection isn't possible, yet I seem to think that I should be perfect. That starts a a downward spiral. I tense up and start missing more shots. And it feels even worse in doubles. I feel like I'm getting, I'm letting my partner down, so I tense up even faster. And this is such a good question, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about a second ago, Dr. Cohn, in uh, that kind of downward spiral and, and being a perfectionist. And as I said a second ago, this is something that I, I have struggled with myself, thinking that I, I shouldn't miss shots, which obviously is unrealistic. How do we deal with that? For those of uh, for those of my listeners who are listening and are are kind of a perfection perfectionist by nature, how can we get ourselves out of that trap of feeling like we should make every shot and and getting negative when it doesn't happen? Well, let's start with the positive. And the positive, is, as a perfectionist, you do many things well. And I know you're very motivated. I know you're very committed, and you and you're you're trying hard all the time and and trying to give 100% effort. So there's some real advantages of that perfectionism when it comes to your practice and your practice habits and your work ethic. And it's probably one of the reasons why you've been able to succeed at some level, you know, in your tennis game. But there is a huge downside to perfectionism. And it seems like uh, 8 out of 10 athletes that contact me to work on the mental game are in this mold. A perfectionist, right? Um, because they see that how much it's getting in the way. They realize how much it's getting in the way. What's really interesting is this person's rationalizing um, as uh, what's the name of the person again that asked the question? Was it Dana? Dana, yes. Yeah, Dana um, is rationalizing that she sees that the pros miss shots. She knows that perfection is impossible, yet. She seems to think that she should be perfect, okay? There's, what, two or three shoulds in that question, and that, <laughs> to me, is at the heart of the issue. The shoulds are the expectations that you take out onto the tennis court that um, I call those setting yourself up for frustration. In other words, perfectionists set very high or what I call strict expectations or demands about their performance about, you know, how they should play, whether they should win or lose, obviously, a match, how they should hit the ball, how they should serve. And then when they don't perform up to those expectations, in this case, it's miss a a couple of easier routine shots, 
when they don't perform up to those expectations, it makes it very difficult for them to accept. So there's really no level of acceptance about their performance when they think they're underperforming or they're not performing up to the expectations. So that's the very first part of it, is you have to learn how to manage those expectations. Um, and, and, I mean, I could talk all morning on this particular topic <laughs> or all day on this topic because there's so much that goes into perfectionism. But when I say manage those expectations, I'm not talking about confidence. Most of the time, athletes have very, very high expectations but low confidence. I call that the confidence expectation connection, and that's the recipe for disaster. The recipe for success is to have very high confidence without the expectation that's attached to that. And athletes, by and large, group those two concepts together like they're one and the same. If I expect to win or if I expect to play perfectly, then I must have confidence. No. Expectations are demands that you place upon your performance. They turn into pressure, and they also turn into self-judgment, self-critical or self-judgmental behavior when you're not performing up to those expectations. So you identify the expectations, the demands. In this case, it's easy for me to see that, that she should not miss easier routine shots. That's just unacceptable. So that's the example of the expectation that's embedded in this question. Now, my process for this is to be able to turn that expectation into what I call something that's more manageable or um, a more of a manageable goal or more of a manageable objective. I call that a process goal. So maybe it's as simple as um, just having good footwork, for example, something that's a little bit more manageable, but it doesn't have the demand of I have to execute that routine shot 100% of the time. So you try to tweak out the expectations and you replace them with things that are more manageable that the player's going to do 9 out of 10 times or 10 out of 10 times on the court. And then it's a lot more difficult for that player to be judgmental, number one, and, and get upset when they think they're underperforming. So, like I said, there's so much that goes into the whole thing about perfectionism because a lot of my programs that I do um, with athletes are addressing um, some of the downsides of perfectionism. Well, I got to tell you, Dr. Cohn, I had probably three or four aha moments while you were talking there, and uh, that was some really great information and especially for for myself personally where you were talking about the the difference between setting expectations for yourself and that as opposed to being confident and those two things not necessarily being the same thing that really makes a lot of of sense and yet it's something I, i've never heard anybody talk about before is that connection between expectations and and confidence so how do we train ourselves to be confident rather than setting expectations in stone and saying, uh, like you were talking about having the, the should, the word should in there, I should make a short, easy forehand, period. You know, I should make it so that when it doesn't happen, there's automatic uh, feeling of failure there. How do we replace that with just being confident and maybe telling ourselves 
I can make that shot or that that's a shot that I'm good at and not necessarily attaching a, uh, a pressure of having to do it. Yeah, not only the pressure of having to do it, but there's the judgments that go with it. Confidence doesn't include judgment. Hmm. You know, so for example, like you said, confidence is strictly a belief in your ability to execute that routine shot. Um, it doesn't say anything about the, if you miss it, that you need to judge yourself and beat yourself up, mm -hmm. right? Right, yeah. But the, but the expectation does. So the first part of that is knowing the difference between the two and making sure you're clear with those. Um, confidence is the belief that precedes your performance. It's the strength of your belief that you can execute that shot, whereas expectation is putting the demand and the pressure on yourself that you have to and you should and you must execute that shot a hundred percent of the time. So, um, and you know, confidence, you know, I tell my players all the time, you can see the serve, you can see that, I don't want to call it perfect serve, but you can see the ideal serve in your mind before you hit it to build confidence. Right. But that doesn't mean that you have to execute that. So sometimes there's a disconnect for players there they see in their mind what they're capable of on the serve right. or any shot for that matter. I'm just kind of using the serve as an example where you might visualize the ideal serve that you're capable of hitting in that situation, but then they don't execute that or they don't perform that serve and they make a double fall. There's a disconnect because they think that they should execute what they see in their mind. Players have to understand that you want to set yourself up for optimal performance by believing in it and seeing it, but yet you have to understand that it's not always going to come out that way. It's just the way the human body is set up and, and human nature is, it's not going to be exactly as you envisioned. Um, you know, I'll, I'll quote someone from, from, from the world of golf, um, where some of your listeners may know a guy named Ben Hogan, which was one of the best ball strikers in the history of golf. He said that during a round of golf where you hit maybe 70 shots or so, he envisioned uh, or only three or four of those shots were executed just as he envisioned out of 70. Hmm. And he was one of the best ball strikers, most consistent ball strikers, um, you know, in golf. So you certainly want to set yourself up with a belief that I can execute but you have to let go of the, the judgments about how did that execution go and be more self-accepting. Well, Dr. Cohn, I, I really enjoyed that explanation from you a great deal. And as somebody who has struggled with these very issues a lot in the past, I, I can really appreciate that information a great deal. And I know that my, my listeners are going to appreciate it and enjoy it very much as well. So I'd like to thank you very much for spending time with myself and and talking to my listeners it's it's been great uh, to have you on the show and i look forward to having you back again soon great wonderful to talk to you again ian and i will talk to you soon all right that brings the essential tennis podcast number 89 to a close thank you very much for joining me today and i hope that my conversation with Dr. Cohn was informative to you and, and interesting. I always enjoy talking about mental tennis a great deal. 
Now, in wrapping up today's show, I'd like to do three quick shout-outs. The first one is to Joe in Louisiana, who this past week was kind and generous enough to send a a donation to EssentialTennis.com. So, Joe, thank you very much for your support. I appreciate that a great deal. And those funds will go directly towards the costs of keeping up EssentialTennis.com. So I appreciate that. Also, two people on the forums recently have crossed over the 1,000 post mark. And Fight Fan in California and Brian Mark in Nebraska have both passed over 1,000 posts on the forums. So those are both two very important people to the Essential Tennis community. I really appreciate your guys' enthusiasm and the time that you've put in on the forums, talking to other members and also exchanging ideas and thoughts with myself about the website. And the forums just wouldn't be the same without you two guys. So great job to both of you. All right, that does it for this week. Take care, everybody, and good luck with your tennis.